Turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 55. We've been in a series on Isaiah, and uh, today we come to this great 55th chapter. What was the greatest, most special invitation that you've ever received? We have a great invitation here in this chapter, as we shall see. Now, we've been in a series uh, on the books, that, uh, the passages in Isaiah that deal with the servant of the Lord. Uh, this one who will come. In the 52nd chapter, it talked about the servant of the Lord would be exalted and be very high, but he would suffer. His, uh, would, his form would be marred more than the sons of men. He would suffer terribly. And uh, so he would sprinkle many nations. So shall he sprinkle many nations. In the Old Testament, you cleanse things ceremonially by sprinkling the blood of a lamb. And his blood would sprinkle many nations. They'd be forgiven as a result of his death. Fifty-third chapter, the great chapter on the servant of the Lord, uh, who will be despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, this coming servant, the iniquity of us all. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that would bring about our peace with God was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. He'll make his death with the wicked. Think of Jesus dying with two thieves. He'll be buried in a rich man's tomb. After that, he will prolong his days. He'll be raised from the dead. He'll conquer. He'll divide the spoil with the strong. A great chapter on the suffering servant. In the 54th chapter, you had the church that would be born out of his side. And so God says to Zion, get ready. They're coming. Lengthen your streaks. Build a bigger tent here. Get ready. Strengthen the stakes. Lengthen the cords. He says, the Gentiles are going to come in and be part of God's true people, God's Zion. Now, in the 55th chapter, we've got the invitation to come. starts off, verse 1. Uh, here's the invitation to partake from the provision God has made. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. Without money and without cost. Uh, you notice uh, here they're selling these things in a sense. Uh, in countries where water is scarce, you'll have vendors who are selling water. He says, come, buy some of what I'm providing here. Uh, who's invited? Everyone who has spiritual thirst. Come, all you who are thirsty. Do you thirst for God? To know Him, to grow in Him, to be used by Him. Uh, it says, come, all you who are thirsty. Notice what they're to partake of. Come to the waters. Come by wine and milk. The richness of what He's offering here. The satisfying nature, spiritual blessings. Well, what does it cost? He says, come by wine and milk without money and without cost. It's free. Offered free to us. Great cost to that suffering servant who by his suffering would sprinkle many nations. Great cost to God who would send his son. Uh, but 
freed us. First uh, Peter one nineteen, you it says, uh, you were redeemed uh, not by silver and gold, but by the precious blood of the Lamb, without spot or blemish. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or take away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly Lamb, takes all our sin away, a sacrifice of richer blood and nobler name than they. He was the real Lamb. Now, uh, so the cost, his was the price and ours is the freeness. But you've got to come. You've got to buy. You've got to respond. You've got to partake. Notice the expostulation with those who spend their efforts on other sustenance. In verse 2, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. The folly of laboring for that which does not satisfy, not real bread. Uh, he's referring to seeking satisfaction, seeking meaning and purpose in life, fulfillment in life, and the things of this world that most folks seek it in, in material things, in physical pleasures, in the kind of advancement in the things of this world that most folks seek after. He says, don't waste all of your energies on that. It's not real bread. It won't fulfill you. It won't do for you anything of lasting value. Uh, you remember the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon tells us of his search to find meaning and satisfaction in life. And he says, I, I tried uh, doing it with all the physical pleasures you can have. And then I tried building all these buildings. And then I tried it over here. And then I tried... Vanity of vanities. All is vanity, he said. You have to come and... He says, listen, listen to me, eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair, the fatness, the richness of the provision that he offers. Uh, now, he elaborates on the provision that he offers. The elaboration in verse 3, give ear and come to me, hear that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love Promise to David. Notice the provision. Come to me. He himself. God himself is the provision. He gives himself to us. Uh, he gives eternal life, spiritual life. He says, hear me that your soul may live. That you can have spiritual life. Uh, he says, I will enter into an everlasting covenant with you. An everlasting covenant with you. Uh, and uh, here he uh, the, gives another designation for it. He says, My faithful love promised to David. The King James says, Even the sure mercies of David. My faithful love promised to David. Uh, the idea is just... Love and mercy to meet your need, suited to your case, never failing, 
That's what I promised to David. That's what I'm promising to you. Now, you pick up about the sure mercies of David and how they were fulfilled. They were fulfilled in the sending of Jesus Christ to be that suffering servant who would die for us and so on. Uh, God promised that David and his son would sit on the throne forever. Paul talks about this in the 13th chapter of Acts in the synagogue in Antioch. And uh, here's what he says. He says, uh, We... Tell you the good news, what God promised our fathers. He has fulfilled for us their children by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, You are my son. Today I have become your father. He's talking about the resurrection of Christ and the obvious fact that all Christ's claims were vindicated when he was raised from the dead to be God the Son. Uh, He says, the fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. He says, therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified, legally cleared, has a standing before God of not guilty, a permanent standing. He says, through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Uh, you cannot approach God on the basis of how well you've kept his law, but you can approach him on the basis of your faith in Jesus Christ. The sure mercies and promise to David. Now, notice the person through whom the provision is made. In verse 4, he says, See, I have made him, this coming servant, a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander of the peoples. Jesus stood before Pilate and he said, I came to witness to the truth. He was a prophet. But he'd be a leader also, a commander. He'd be king. He'd be prophet priest, he would offer himself as the lamb, and king. All three offices combined in one person, this one that God was going to send. The prediction of the acceptance of the invitation, come, come to the waters, come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Will that offer be accepted? Will that invitation, will anyone respond, oh yes, says Isaiah. They will come. Notice who will come. The prediction of the acceptance of the invitation by many Gentiles. Verse 5. Surely you, this servant, will summon nations you know not. And nations that do not know you will hasten to you. Run to you. Hasten to you. They won't be the original nation that you chose, Israel. Nations you know not. Uh, uh, The nations you do not know will hasten to you. Uh, They'll be Gentile nations. Uh, Here's a reiteration of what we had in the 54th chapter, where where Zion was told, strengthen your stakes, lengthen your cords. They're going to come. The nations will seek after you, the Gentiles. Here's another prediction of that. And the cause of this response, it says, 
because the Lord your God, God Almighty, the Holy One of Israel, He has endowed you with splendor. He will glorify His Son by having the nations come. And here we are, 2,000 years later, 2,750 years later. He wrote this 750 B.C. And here we are, most of us Gentiles who've come to faith in this servant, Jesus Christ, and experience those sure mercies promised to David. Now, uh, we see the invitation, come, come to the waters, come, buy, without money, without price. We see the expostulation, why do you labor for that which doesn't satisfy? And uh, the elaboration on the provision, an everlasting covenant, the sure mercies of David, eternal life, God himself given to us. The prediction of the acceptance of the invitation by Gentiles. The conditions required in accepting this invitation. What do I have to do to accept it? In verse 6, seek, ye, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. What have I got to do? Notice there's a required period of time. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye on him while he is near. I've got to seek. Uh, there's a required pursuit first. And then there's a required period of time. The required pursuit. Seek. Now, it's not that he can't be found in a sense that... He's not accessible, but if you seek, that means you are dead in earnest about this. Jesus said, the kingdom of God suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. You want to be in the kingdom of God? You've got to be serious. You don't play at this. It wasn't played when God sent his son. And if you want to be right with God, if you want to be in an everlasting covenant of God, which is offered freely to you, you must be did in earnest about this. You seek Him. You call on Him. You cry out to Him. God, I want that water. God, I am coming. I am serious. Think of a lady who got on her knees in our community some years back and she knew she needed this and she didn't understand and she said, God, I am serious. Please, somehow... Let someone explain to me just how to become a Christian. That night, one of our EE teams knocked on her door. She called out that morning, and God opened her heart and brought her an answer there. Call on Him. The required period of time, while He may be found, there's a limited time of opportunity when God permits Himself to be found. Remember why Jesus taught in parables? Read Matthew 13. See why Jesus taught in parables. He taught in parables to withdraw light. To withdraw light. To confuse those who hadn't followed the light that they had. Jesus said, he said, To him that hath shall be given. To him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he has. The person who has light and follows light gets more light. The person who has light and doesn't follow light 
God withdraws the light. There's a limited time when you can seek the Lord for your life. And then he withdraws the light. You hardened your heart, now he hardened your heart. There's a time I know not when, a place I know not where, that marks the destiny of men to heaven or despair. There's a line by us unseen that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between God's patience and his wrath. To cross that limit is to die, to die as if by stealth. It may not pale the beaming eye nor quench the glowing health. But on that forehead, God has set indelibly a mark by man unseen, for man as yet is blind and in the dark. He feels, he says, that all is well, his every fear is calmed. He lives, he dies, he wakes in hell, not only doomed, but damned. Oh, where is that mysterious line by which each path is crossed, beyond which God himself has sworn that he who goes is lost? How long may man go on in sin? How long will God forbear? Where does hope end and where begin the confines of despair? One answer from the sky is sent, ye who from God depart. While it's called today, repent and harden not your heart. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. as a limited period of time for you, for me. Uh, now... The required parting with sin as I return to the Lord, or turn to the Lord. In verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now, the way the Bible uses the term wicked, you can be a very nice person, but be wicked in biblical terminology. A wicked person in biblical terminology is a person who has not come to God. Is still guilty before God. Hasn't experienced a changed heart. He's not a new creature. And he's wicked. You've got two classes of people in the world. Wicked and righteous. Uh, You've got those in the kingdom of darkness, those in the kingdom of light. And uh, so... He says here, let the wicked forsake his way, the course he's following, doing his own will. Let him turn unto the Lord. Uh, The most folks in our society are going their own way. And it's not God's way. And uh, he says, you turn. Repentance is defined in our shorter catechism of our denomination. It says, repentance unto life, no life without it, is a saving grace. God enables you to do this. He gives it. Repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin, he understands his guilt before a holy God, does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. He purposes to obey. It's an attitude of heart. That's repentance. And uh, you turn to him in faith. He says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy. You come to Jesus Christ for mercy. And you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. But you're the Savior. 
And I'm going to cast myself on you as the Lamb of God who took my guilt upon yourself. And I'm going to trust you and God to forgive me as a sheer gift based on your death. I rest on you alone. That's faith in Jesus Christ. Now, Calvin said it like this. He said, Hence we infer that the doctrine of repentance ought always to accompany the promise of salvation. For in no other way can man taste the goodness of God than by abhorring themselves on account of their sins and renouncing themselves and the world. They said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought you said this was free. Now you're saying I've got to turn from my sin. I've got to turn from doing things I like to do. That's right. It's free, but you have to turn. Uh, it's a free gift, but the gift is Jesus Christ himself coming to live in you as your master. And know this, nor of the terms complain, where Jesus comes, he comes to reign. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. We have to surrender our will to him. That's part of coming. That doesn't earn you salvation. It just won't work any other way. Charles Simeon, great Church of England minister in the 1700s, uh, he put it like this. He says, true, men must repent, but, he, but they need not to repent in order to make satisfaction for their sins. No repentance of man can add to the value of Christ's sacrifice. Man must repent in order to justify God and to evidence themselves abhorrent of their past ways and to bring their soul to a fit state for the enjoyment of God's mercy. We come as we are, but we don't purpose to stay as we are. When the prodigal son came home to his father, he didn't come with a girl under one arm and a bottle of whiskey in the other arm and say, Dad, I want to come home, but I, I want to live like I've been living. That wouldn't have worked. He came and said, he said, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And the father said, no, 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 no. Kill the fatted calf. This my son was alive, was dead and is alive. Is lost and is found. Now, uh, the resulting pardon when we come in repentance and faith, it says, let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. My goodness. Pardon before God. You have many needs. I have many needs. But you don't need anything like you need that. And if you had every other need in your met, every other need you have met, and didn't have that need met, you'd be so poor. You'd be in so dire a circumstance. And if you have that need met, and you don't have any other needs met, you are rich. In true riches. Now, the reason why we have to forsake our ways and our thoughts, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. As high as the heavens are than the, above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We want to do our own will. What, what are our thoughts? What are our ways? Just cut on the television. That's our thoughts and our ways. Just look around your society. Just pick up a newspaper, and you've got a feel of man's thoughts and man's ways. And if those are your thoughts and your ways, you're not in the kingdom. 
man by nature is unlike God in his thinking and in his ways. Man thinks, well, gosh, what you're talking about isn't any fun. Well, it is fun to do all the things that the world does. You remember what it says about Moses? That Moses, when he came of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, for he counted that the persecution that went with the affliction of being part of the people of God, greater riches than, the, than those offered in Egypt, than the pleasures of sin for a season. He reckoned that suffering with the people of God was greater riches than enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He took the long-run view. He said, this way is the way of true riches. This is temporary satisfaction and all kind of fun, but it's for a season here. Now, uh, the people around us in terms of our society, they, they, they think, well, their thoughts are wrong. He says, I'm not so bad. You say to the average person in Birmingham, Alabama, you say, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? What do they say? I haven't done anything real bad. Of course I'd go to heaven. Yes, you have done something real bad. You have sinned. You went against God. That's real bad. And you need a Savior. And you can only have Him if you repent and place your faith in Him. But He invites you. Come. A comparison uh, indicating the sure accomplishment of God's purposes. God said, this will come about. These nations will come. And notice what he says here in verse 10. He compares his word and the effect of it with the rain and the snow. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God says, my word is like the rain. It causes the earth to bud. My rain will cause, my word will cause those nations to come to me. It will soften their hearts. It will open their eyes. That's why we have mission, a conference. We have a missions conference so that we can gear up to send out missionaries to take his word because his word is what is the instrument God will use to draw those nations to himself, to cause this prophecy to be fulfilled. It's what he used in our life. It's what he used in the lives of those at the office and those uh, who are growing up in our home and our neighbors and our friends. As we share with them, did I ever tell you what Jesus Christ did in my life? As we take that message and share with them, his word will produce fruit. And they will come. So we take it. Uh, the transformation that would take place in the captives and in nature. In verse 12, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Here's this transformation and the captives, uh, as they depart from bondage. Now, what's being viewed here is Isaiah had already predicted that Israel was going to go into captivity in Babylon. 
But one day God would bring them out. And uh, they would be set free. Well, that deliverance from captivity is a picture of the deliverance from bondage to sin and the guilt of sin that all of us have. And so he says, you'll be set forth. And not just that physical setting forth, but a spiritual setting forth that applies to all who come and buy without money and without price, who do business with him. And so here's this transformation in the captives. Notice the joy that goes on there. He says, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. The trees of the field will clap their hands. That's the kind of joy that comes with being right with him. When you drink that water that he gives, he himself, joy, real joy, is what you experience in your life. The joys of this world, they're temporary. That's real, lasting joy. Joy in spite of the circumstances that may be very painful. Oh, man. (laughs) Oh, just think of John Newton, who'd been a, a slaver. And God opens his eyes and he says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Man, he's experienced freedom. Anyone who has experienced what he's experienced knows exactly what we're talking about here. And the, the uh, transformation in nature. He says in verse 13, instead of the thorn brush will grow the pine tree. Instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which shall not be destroyed. Nature itself is going to be transformed. Remember, the whole world is under a curse because of Adam's sin. So that nature never hits its potential. There's always something destroying the crops, some bug, something. But one day, God's going to free up nature, too. There's going to be a whole new universe. And there won't be any disease or sickness. There'll be transformed people, a transformed universe, and that will be a memorial to the Lord. Notice, this will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which shall not be destroyed. Kings set up their memorials. Well, the King of Kings has his memorial. Transformed people in a transformed universe. You going to be there? You going to help others be there? For the Christian... Tremendous things are said here. You are in an everlasting covenant, everlasting covenant with God. The sure mercies of David, they will not fail. God will pardon you. You are pardoned. And he will bless you with true blessing. About God's work in you by his word, it will bring forth fruit in your life. Uh, Is there some area you need to deal with where you're resisting his word? Go to him. Call out him. About God's work through you as you spread his word. That he will use you and his word to cause nations to come to himself. Tremendous things here. Read of what he did. Read of what he did through Adoniram Judson. Oh, Adoniram Judson went through some terrible times. His wife died. Son died. If I remember correctly, daughter died. But Adoniram Judson, God used him. And Burma there in a tremendous way to bring the nations. If you're not a Christian, you're here today. There's a limited time in which you can seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. 
Don't play around. Be dead in earnest. The violent, take it by force. Be violent about this thing. Forget other things until you settle this thing. Are you here today? And thirsty. You're thirsty for God. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living water, thirsty one. Stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched. My soul revived. And now I live in Him.